All right, join me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I had originally planned to title this message FOMO, but I forgot what it was. So thank you for reminding me again. FOMO means fear of missing out. I have not seen that elsewhere until Tim introduced me to it last week, but I think what a good, what a good theme for where we're at in the book of Acts and the topic of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Read with me in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthian? Parthenians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Let's talk this morning about the question. Does anyone feel like there needs to be more to the Christian life? I mean, is FOMO a real concern? Are we missing out on something? Do we need to be afraid we're missing something? Is there something we're not paying attention to? Something we're not appropriating that Jesus wants to give us inherent in our faith, inherent in the gospel and our relationship with him? On the top of your outline, I have a quote from Moses. And this is something that I see, I see Pentecost as being the fulfillment of, a desire of Moses. Moses had 70 elders who... He shared his spirit with. The Holy Spirit came upon 70 elders because people were saying, Moses, you're doing way too much yourself. You're going to burn out. And so he needed to take his spirit and share it with these 70 elders. Well, he did. As it turns out, I think there were 68 that spoke and prophesied. And then there were two that did it later when they weren't part of the group. And it was actually Joshua, from the book of Joshua, who said, Hey, Moses, wait a minute. Stop these guys. They weren't with us when we all prophesied, okay? So they shouldn't be doing that. And Moses' words were what you have at the top of your outline. Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses said, I wish every person, every child of God, all the Lord's people, had the Holy Spirit, and they were all prophets. And Eric and I have agreed, we share that vision. And you know, the neat thing about it is, 
It couldn't come true back in Moses' day, but now it is. Now it is, and we're going to look at that. All God's people have the Holy Spirit, and all can prophesy. All can speak for him. We have different gifts, different ways of communicating, different roles in the church, but we all can be filled with God's Spirit and minister and speak for him. So we need to consider, is there more? Moses said, yes, there is. God's given us the more, but are we walking in more? Is the question. Someone said, we all have the pilot light of the Holy Spirit, but is the furnace on? I woke up one week, one morning, a couple weeks ago when it got really cold. House was freezing. Freezing. I don't know how it got turned down so low, but somehow the furnace got turned essentially down to nothing. And so I went, turned it up, and I know we had the pilot light lit because when the furnace, when I turned the heat up, it warmed up the house very nicely. We have a warm house. But having the pilot light itself doesn't really change your life. It's when you turn on the furnace. And that's sort of the picture of the Holy Spirit. All believers in Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit. The pilot light's lit, right? But turn on the furnace or you don't get the warmth. You don't get the power. You don't get the energy. And God had been promising a new covenant, a day when all God's people would receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus came, and as we, Tim spoke the words in communion, this, this cup is, a, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus died to ratify the new covenant and rose and went to heaven. But the last sec part of him establishing that covenant was sending the Holy Spirit, who was said to be a key part of that covenant. We're going to read the passage on the new covenant from Jeremiah, quoted in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, just to demonstrate. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had told his disciples that they need to wait until they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then they would be his witnesses in all the world. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in a new way on all God's people. The fulfillment of Moses' dream and the fulfillment of the new covenant for his people. Let's consider the day of Pentecost and what it meant and what happened, but most importantly, what it means for us. How do we walk from here different because of what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem? The events of Pentecost, first of all. They were all, verse, look at two, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, and this is an upper room of some type, we don't know exactly where they were, some house in the city of Jerusalem, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There was a sound that came with Pentecost. It was a violent wind. It was like a hurricane blowing through. Wind is noisy. You ever felt like you're, you know, you ever feel like the Wizard of Oz, your house is going to get lifted up and carried away? Uh, the wind is so powerful. We lived right across the street from Lake Erie, the last place we lived, and I want to tell you, that wind, I could put nothing outside. I lost all my garbage cans, lost a screen door, lost a swing set, lost a trampoline. Um, yeah, it was nuts. Wind is powerful and noisy. It sounded sometimes like there was a freight train going to run over the house. And this was not real wind, it was the sound like a, like a violent rushing wind. 
Okay, so it was supernatural. It wasn't a real wind. It was sound like a wind. Because the Spirit of God, of course, is, well, the word spirit means breath and wind, both in Hebrew and in Greek. So the, the Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell the church. So this wind sound. Secondly, it's a sight. And it was, what happened is they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So they saw fire. The Spirit's purifying heat. Many people who've had experiences with the Holy Spirit describe that they felt heat. That makes sense. And this was shaped like tongues, and they came and rested on everybody. Many people have tried to depict it artistically. I'd, no one really knows for sure, but there was like tongues of fire. It was, it was flames on everybody's, apparently on everyone's head. I don't know. We don't really know exactly what it looked like. And last of all, speech. All of them, verse 4, were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. This is when the Spirit comes and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the fire was like fire, tongues of fire. The wind was like wind, but this is real. The Holy Spirit entered them, and they began to speak in other languages, other tongues that they didn't know. In fact, um, it says that this, this was an amazing thing. They actually drew a crowd because people were there that spoke all kinds of languages and they heard their own language being spoken and they gathered. Who's speaking to me? Who's talking? Is it a relative? Is it someone I know? Who's talking my language? That would be an amazing experience. This is amazing stuff. And so what happened is they, they, they spoke the languages of all these different you know, people that were around. Languages they didn't know. And, and it says they were utterly amazed. And they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear our own language being spoken? This is a group of Galileans, and they're speaking our language. Now, not only did they, you know, it's, they didn't know their languages, first of all. They were from Galilee, northern Israel. But Galileans had a bad reputation. They were noted kind of as hillbillies, sort of semi-illiterate. So... Remember, remember in, in John chapter 1, can anything good come from Nazareth? Which, of course, is up in Galilee. These are a bunch of old, these are a bunch of hicks up there. They can't even speak their own language right. And how are they speaking other languages? It's kind of like being from Cleveland when I lived elsewhere. Ooh, you're from Cleveland. <laughs> yes, I can read. <laughs> It's amazing what's thought out there. So, um, and it says that all the people that were at the, at the feast, see, Pentecost was one of the three big feasts where everyone came, and since the weather was better at Pentecost, they usually drew a large, large crowd at Pentecost. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish pilgrims and God-fearing Jews and those who weren't, who weren't from necessarily Israel, but they were, they were Jewish converts from all over the empire. And so, if you look at the diversity of all these different people, they were coming because they were Jewish, they were coming to celebrate Pentecost, and um, remember that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and they would make disciples, that they would be Jesus' witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. This isn't happening here necessarily. These are all Jewish people. 
but it's a foreshadow because these people live in different places. They speak different languages. We see in Acts chapter 10 that the gospel goes out, out of the Jewish world to the Gentiles and eventually all the way to Rome at the end of the book of Acts. So it starts to happen. Right now it's, it's, it's God saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit and all these different people are going to hear their own languages and the, and the message of God in their own language. It's the start of me saying, this is going to go through the whole world, folks. It's like a, almost like a prophetic act. Interesting to note, they had declared the wonders of God, it says. And um, when it came time for the gospel to be preached, Peter stood up and spoke. He didn't speak in tongues, did he? He spoke what? Probably Aramaic, it would be likely. So when the gospel is preached, it's in the, native, it's in the language that everyone understands. And one of the things about the gift of tongues, it's, it's not necessarily a gift that's given for the preaching of the gospel. Sometimes it has different purposes. We can't pigeonhole these things. But most of the time, it's, it's not for that purpose. It is a sign. And that's why missionaries, when they go to foreign lands, even Pentecostal missionaries, sweat out language school to learn the language of the people to whom they're going. They don't assume we'll go, we'll go over here to, to this country and, 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 and talk and God will translate for us. When Billy Graham goes to Korea or goes to different places, he has a translator. I've spoken with translators. Okay, so the preaching of the gospel, this is not necessarily for that purpose. Um, I wish it were. <laughs> um, although I do enjoy having a translator. That's a fun experience if you've ever had that opportunity. So that's the events of, of Pentecost. But the response to Pentecost is, is the, we should say the excitement of Pentecost I have is amazing. Notice it says utter amazement. They were utterly amazed, bewildered, it says in, chapter, in verses 6 and 7. And they were amazed and perplexed, chapter 10. You could, let's put all those together. They were flabbergasted. They were in awe. They didn't know what was going on. They were totally taken aback and they were excited. They were... Well, this caused a stir. This caused a ruckus. And, they, and it says that when they heard them speaking in their language, they gathered, and everyone's going, what is going on? Right? That's what, it's, that's what happened. And, they, and most of the people were just like, I don't get it. They were fascinated by it. They were enthralled by it, but there were some who said they've had too much wine. They weren't serious. It says they were mocking. You know, they, were, they didn't analyze it and say, sounds like a bunch of drunk people. They were just finding a way to mock them. And, you know, it's fascinating what they said because, um, and by the way, <laughs> who, who's familiar with the phenomenon of speaking in tongues that happens today in churches? The responses are kind of like this. Fascinated? These people are crazy. And every, the whole spectrum, right? And confusion galore. And one of the things that I'm trying to do in talking about Pentecost is deal with what happened then and ignore what we have now, but then say we can't ignore what now. We, we know we've seen these things. We've heard of these things. We've seen the confusion of these things. We kind of have to also address what's happening today and how we respond to them. It's very tricky. Because we have opinions. Everybody here, most people here, probably have an opinion on these matters. 
Some are pro, some are con, some don't know. A mixture of pro and con. And that's not easy to deal with. Thankfully, Eric is going to help, and he'll straighten it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, notice, some say, what does this mean? That's where we want to get to. What does this mean? What, how do we respond? But also, though some of the ones that say are drunk, they use the word sweet wine. They're full of sweet wine. And it, it, this is really funny. It's a process called chaptalization. This is talking about a type of wine where they added honey to the unfermented grape mesh. It was intentionally a special wine made that produced a higher alcohol content. The end product tasted terrible. It wasn't sweet. You think honey is sweet. No, it actually, it actually made a very strong, not sweet wine, but it packed a real punch. It's rock gut wine. How many remember... Mogan David 2020, MD 2020, Mad Dog 2020. Those of you who are raising your hands, you're telling me something about yourself. I'll meet you later because I remember it too. It was Concord grape wine. It's rock gut. Yeah, Strawberry Hill, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and... Um, but I want to tell you something. All, all the people that drank it used to say, it's just cheap rock gut wine that's easy to steal from the store because it's in a flask shape. That's why people drank it. Why is it packed such a punch? It's like drinking vodka. Seriously, that is what it was. And uh, so what they're actually saying here when they say they're full of sweet wine... He says, oh, they're, they're hitting the MD 2020 again. They're hitting the Mad Dog. They're out behind Circle K hitting the cheap wine again. That's what's happening. That's what's going on with these people that seem to follow this Jesus, right? They're, they, they went into Convenient Food Mart, got themselves some cheap wine, and they're behind, behind there hitting it up. And now they're, what, they're babbling. <laughs> What's the meaning of Pentecost? So the most people were saying, what is this? What's going on? And Peter was very glad to oblige. Peter said, in verse 14, he stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd in Aramaic. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not tipping the mad dog, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And they start by saying, prophecy is being fulfilled. Peter says, you all are Jewish, right? So you know the book of Joel. You know what Joel wrote. That, and, and you're familiar with the fact that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. That's what's happening here. It's what you've dreamed about for years. It's what we've waited for. Messiah came. Spirit came on Messiah and all those around him. If you look at his life, how many people in Jesus' life were filled with the Spirit? And he had the Spirit, and he gives the Spirit to us now. Notice on your outline the, the passage about the new covenant. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach your neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to them to the greatest. 
I will forgive their wickedness, will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, this is the quote from the book of Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah, by the way. And now this is Hebrews, not Jeremiah. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is absolute and outdated will soon disappear. He's saying, we now follow Jesus. He fulfilled the old covenant, the Hebrew scriptures. And he's now the God, the source, the revelation that we follow. And the Holy Spirit came to establish the final step of that covenant. He will put their law in their minds and hearts. In Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from a heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He says, you're going to get the spirit inside you and you're going to have a dynamic relationship with God that has never been possible and only shared by a few. And you're going to have an empowerment to live for God that has not been possible. And it's not just going to be like it was under the old covenant where certain people got it for a certain time and a certain task. You're going to permanently be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And you will know God in a personal living way. I mean, it's great. He's, so it's here. And he says, this is what you've been waiting for. Don't talk stupid about being drunk and don't be bewildered. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened. This is what you've drunk. Messiah has come and he's poured out this spirit upon you and brought this new age, the age of the spirit. And next it's the last days have dawned. In the last days. And the last days is from Jesus all the way to the end. We live in the last days indeed. Last days doesn't just mean the book of Revelation. Last days means when the Messiah came and began the age of the Spirit, the Messianic age. And the Spirit has come. And we are now the generation that is going to carry out God's plan all the way to the end. The last days have dawned. It is also, it means prophecies fulfilled, it means last days have dawned. It means all God's people are spirit and dwelt and empowered. All God's people are spirit and dwelt and empowered. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 on your outline. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. And that is true of all believers in Christ. It says in Romans, if, if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So that is what starts here, where there is a new indwelling of all God's people who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's called the new birth, like Jesus talked about. You must be born again. All who trace their trust in Jesus are born of the spirit. The spirit gives birth to a new nature within. That is salvation. That is the new covenant. And notice it says on all God's people, the Spirit will be poured out. Verse, 30, verse 17, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, all types of people. Because then he goes on to explain, not all people, all people, everybody that's ever, not everyone that's ever been and ever lived, no. It says, he goes on to describe what he means. He means your sons and daughters will prophesy. In other words, male and female will have the Spirit poured out upon them. All kinds of people, all classes. Sons and daughters will prophesy, both men and women. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. All ages, both sexes, all ages. Even on my servants, both men and women. Another men and women, and that's social classes. So it's all types of people. 
summary is that I will pour out my spirit on all in those days. I will pour out torrential rain pour. You notice that's not a, that's not a meek term, pour out my spirit. I'll give you a little dose of the spirit. What does he say? It's going to pour out. FOMO. Don't miss the pouring out of God's spirit. FOMO. And great generosity and great effect on all God's people. All God's people now have the capacity to hear from God, to learn from God, to speak for God, because they are filled, they have been, they have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The early church had a problem. They broke all the social rules. They had men, women, children, slaves, free, different nationalities joined together, Jew and Gentile. That was really when it got heavy. They broke the social rules because when the Spirit was poured out upon them, what? They said, well, we have no more right to discriminate against people based on who they are, where they come from, what their background is, what color their skin is, what sex they are. No more can that happen. You know when Pentecostalism, modern Pentecostalism, which believes strongly in speaking in tongues and receiving the... Back in the early 1900s in Mazusa Street in Los Angeles, there was a revival that started the modern Pentecostal movement. There's always been people that experienced the Holy Spirit, of course. The Great Awakenings in America had great manifestations of the Spirit. That's where you get the word Quaker from Quaker Oats once in Ravenna, because people quaked in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. That's why they're Quakers. Shaker Heights. I don't know the difference between quaking and shaking. If you do know, please let me know. Okay? The mourner's bench, the Methodist mourner's bench was the same thing. The, Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s wrote a great book on, the, on what happens in a revival. And he calls it about the treatise on religious affections. Is one about emotions. And another one is the surprising works of God. It's got, you know, those titles back then, the, whole, the title was almost a whole page. Basically, he was saying, when people experience God and the Holy Spirit, here's the type of things that happen. He described manifestations and, and tears and joy and laughter and falling down and all the things that happen when we experience God. And this is not a, so I'm, I don't mean to say that it started in the early 1900s, but there was a specific movement. And of course, that movement in, in, in Los, inner city Los Angeles faced trouble because they were doing new things. They were receiving what they called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in tongues and experiencing manifestations. They believed they were experiencing what happened in the book of Acts. And others persecuted them. But you know, the biggest source of persecution wasn't just that um, they were doing something new and different in their services. It was that they didn't discriminate racially. And they got real trouble because they took a very stand, strong stand and said the Spirit of God is the leveler of the human race. And they, they very strongly were interracial. And men and women prophesied, and that was very, very controversial at the time too. And because of that, they faced much trouble. And as, this, as the movement spread across the country, again, there was persecution of this group because they were breaking the racial law. Just like the early church did. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we ought to be breaking the racial laws. 
and cutting, breaking down discrimination and barriers between people. It means that all people are spirit indwelt and empowered and it means it has a whole bunch of ramifications for us. Also, uh, Jesus has ascended to his throne. It means that. And if you look at verse, um, the, the message on, on verse 33 in book Acts chapter 2, as Peter describes, he says, Exalted through the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. Jesus has been exalted. He's in heaven. And in case you wondered, we, we saw him go into heaven in Acts chapter 1. In case you wondered, has he really been received into heaven? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is proof. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He reigns at the right hand of God. Because that's how he's pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us. Well, let's close with the effects of Pentecost. The effects. The immediate effect was a message by Peter, a challenge where he challenged people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. People were cut to the heart, we read last week. What a powerful time that was last week when we looked at the message of Peter. And they were cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? What have we done? We've killed our Messiah. Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. And 3,000 people were saved. Possibly more than that depending on their manner of counting and what that actually means. Amazing. So the first thing that's important to note is that the Holy Spirit was given that they, that to the disciples for the purpose of being witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria and the other most parts of the world. Witness for Jesus. The spreading of the gospel, the growth of the church is number one, the effect of the Holy Spirit. The second effect, well, <laughs> let's think about this for a minute. What's the effect on us? FOMO. We should have a fear of missing out on the effect of the Holy Spirit, on the full effect of Pentecost. Let's not miss all that God has for us. First of all, let's get amazed. They were baffled, they were bewildered, they were amazed. Some made fun because they didn't know what was going on instead of saying, wow, I need to learn what's going on. You just make, isn't that how it is in the public discourse today? You don't understand somebody, you just make fun of them. That's always how people have been. They just, it's, when you have social media, it's amplified, right? <laughs> I don't understand you, I'm going to make fun of you. How about learning? It's called Listen. It's called learn. And so not all of them made fun and said they're drinking Mogan David behind Circle K. Some of them said, what does this mean? We want to know. We want to know. Secondly, we need to get thirsty. If you look up above on your outline, it says on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Ooh, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, there it is, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. Gee, I wonder what Jesus means by rivers of living water. Let's guess. No, he said the Spirit, who the, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. When did that happen? We're looking at it in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been 
glorified. He had not yet gone to his throne. Now that he had, the spirit has been given. Thank you. (laughs) It's awesome. But he says, if you thirst, drink. So let's follow that. Thirst. We have to be thirsty for more. Thirsty. Are you thirsty for more? Billy Graham talked many years ago and said, I've noticed everywhere I go around the world, (laughs) people are hungry. The people of God are hurting. They need more in their lives. And he said what they need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said you need to be hungry. You need to be thirsty for more of God. I don't know if my Billy Graham impersonation is good or bad, but I'm glad I could entertain you. But we need to be thirsty for more. I remember, this This was so... I like how Tim brought out the fact that sometimes we're the floggers. And back in the 80s, there was a U2 song. U2 was reputed to be Christians. And I know Bono's a Christian. I don't know about all of them, but I, there's definite evidence that he is. But um, they had the, 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 the one of the, probably their biggest hit, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And Christians went berserk. How can you say he's a Christian when they sing this song, I haven't, still haven't found what I'm looking for? No, Christian, we have found what we're looking for. Hogwash. We are not fully fulfilled in Christ. We struggle with that all the time. We don't always know our full identity. We don't incorporate all that's ours in Christ. Yeah, we're still looking for, we still haven't found what we're looking for, but we will if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's more. That's why in the book of Ephesians, also Paul writes about us receiving the Spirit at salvation. Then later on he says we need the Spirit to strengthen us within our inner selves. And we need to be filled with the Spirit. And you see that in the book of Acts. They receive repeated infillings, repeated experiences. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a a character quality. And it's a series of experiences that marks a life filled by the Holy Spirit. It's a series of surrenders and experiences. Do I believe in a second blessing? Yes. And a third blessing. And a 22nd blessing. And a 927th blessing. I leak. Do you leak? Get thirsty, spirit intoxicated. Oh, that's a terrible... No, actually, in Ephesians, it says, don't be drunk in wine, which is excess, dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. You know when people go... When people turn to drink... I know not everybody turns to drink consciously for a reason. Some have a different reason. Some, some people have, have a way they can't even avoid it. But for those of those, you know, I, I knew a guy who had a very stressful job. He said, the first thing I did every day, come home, pour myself a drink. Why? Because he was stressed out. He was hurting. He needed that to calm him down. When, you're, when that's where you're at, instead of turning to drink, turn to the Holy Spirit. Turn to God. Open up your heart to him and confess where you're at. Confess your hurt, confess your confusion, confess your anger. And be filled with his spirit. And so He's saying, and think of how you turn to, turn to drink, instead turn to God. 
that's what it's saying, be filled with the Spirit instead of being drunk with wine. And we all can see that. We all understand that. And then the fact that some people said they were drunk means that maybe sometimes people filled with the Spirit act drunk. I don't know. I don't think it's very common that that would be the case, but you never know. Certainly they had to explain some, some way this miracle of speaking in other languages. And, you've, and I'm sure that we've all seen pictures of churches dancing and, and worshiping vibrantly, and some people think they're crazy. Some people think we're crazy. That's okay. But we are not drunk with wine. I pray we are drunk with the Spirit. Let's be on mission. The Holy Spirit's not a toy. One of the reasons why we often resist the work of the Holy Spirit is because we've seen people who just want to jump around and shout loud and scream and sweat. And they're not really looking at, for this for mission. The Holy Spirit was given to us so that we'd be Jesus' witnesses. And we see the results of Pentecost. The greatest result of Pentecost did not come from the tongue speaking. It came from the preaching of the gospel. 3,000 conversions who then received the Holy Spirit. Who knows what that was like? Who knows what happened? But all we know is that the greatest result was the spread of the message of Jesus and people turning to Christ and the people turning their lives over to him and the church expanding and growing dramatically all across the world, as it turned out. That's why all these languages at Pentecost. Remember, the Spirit is given for us to be on mission, not to have a three-ring circus. And I understand when it, we have a problem with how people, some people do this. Um, and last, open the flow. We have a source of water, the living water of the Holy Spirit, but what do we need to do? Okay, the water is provided for us. We are indwelt by the Spirit, but guess what? There's no water coming out. I, if I'm thirsty and I remain like this, I will die of thirst. If I'm dirty and I need this water, but I don't turn the knob, I will be dirty. We need to open up the faucet and allow the flow of the Spirit. Allow the outpouring that he's talking about. I will pour out my Spirit. Oh, we um, sometimes have blockages in our faucet, don't we? That's kind of the problem. Sometimes we have unbelief, unrepentant sin, self-will, I want what I want. That's a good way to block the flow of the Spirit. We have our, our minds, we pseudo-intellectualism, where I'm too smart for that. We have worldly thinking. We have extreme teaching on one end or the other. Some people say the Holy Spirit doesn't really do things like that anymore. He doesn't come and change us. We just read the Bible and figure it out. It's very intellectual. Other people say that we have to have an experience exactly like Pentecost. If we don't have exactly like that or, or exactly like something else, they try to pigeonhole, say you have to have an experience that is just like I had or you don't really have the fullness of the Spirit. And that blocks the flow of the Spirit. It becomes monkey see, monkey do. Some say we can't get emotional. We have to get emotional. <laughs> those who are against the works of the Spirit are emotionally against it. And those who are for it are emotional for it. It's not like one's emotional, one's not. Everybody's emotional. Everybody's fired up. 
And so it's important to remember that what we seek is that God would pour out his spirit upon us, that we would be filled with his Holy Spirit, not worried about whether it looks like what someone else, not even worrying about, because in the book of Acts, all the experiences of the spirit were different. Did you realize that? So not even in the book of Acts do we have a steady pattern. We need to pray that God would pour out his spirit upon us so completely that we're filled with joy, victorious over sin, and bold to witness. And the ways he brings us to that fullness are varied. This, by the way, is from John Piper. It may come in a tumultuous experience of ecstasy in tongues. It may come through a tumultuous experience of ecstasy in no tongues. It may come through an overwhelming experience of God's love or an overflowing of God's hope or peace in our lives. It may come through a crisis of suffering when you abandon yourself totally to God or it may come through a steady diet of God's word and prayer and fellowship and surrender and service. And somewhere along the way we receive the infilling of God's spirit as we, as our will is chipped away. However it comes, our first experience of the fullness of the spirit is only beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. You need more. Do you need more? Okay. We need more. It's not even that God's going to give more, it's that we need to receive more. He's given his son. He's poured out his spirit. There's no more to give, but boy, we have a lot more to receive. We need to open that faucet. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've given. It's amazing that we don't always receive. Lord, you're so good. We couldn't come to you without the Holy Spirit. Your Spirit came to draw us. We can't know you without the Holy Spirit. Your Spirit came and filled us, gives us relationship with you. We can't serve you without the filling of your Spirit. You come and fill us beyond what we could ever deserve or imagine. We don't live the life we ought to live sometimes. Your Spirit convicts and draws us and changes us and transforms us. You come into a meeting of believers where we bring so many, so many different issues and sins and attitudes to the table. And yet, Lord, you still work among us because you love us and you desire to be with us and you desire to see us grow your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord. Now I pray that as that group of believers at Pentecost and throughout the book of Acts that we see, we're constantly receiving renewed touches from your spirit, renewed infillings, renewed outpourings. Right now, I pray that you will allow us to receive an outpouring. Heavenly Father, pour out your spirit on this place. We know you're here, but we need to open that faucet up. I pray for those who have attitudes of, of disdain or unbelief, who have attitudes of fear of opening their lives and letting you work more. I pray that those that have been taught it's not right, or those who've been taught that we are, that, that it's a certain thing, and whatever it might be, Lord, we have so many ways that we mess up the simple teaching that we need to open ourselves to the flow. We'll let go of self-will. Let go of sin that we hold on to and don't want to let go of. And we'll become thirsty for that flow. Now as we 
to close our service with song, you are welcome to come forward. You can come forward with prayer for any need you may have. I'm going to encourage you to pray and ask God, Lord, open my faucet. Unblock my faucet. Confess what's blocking it and say, Lord, as Jesus said, the Heavenly Father is good and he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He will give you more of the Holy Spirit if you ask him. And it may not look anything like what someone else would think the Holy Spirit should look like, but that's not the issue. God meets us in our uniqueness so that he can mold us into the image of Christ. Let him do that today. Let him come in, fill your life, fill the rooms of your life with the power and and love of his spirit. prophesy I would go and this morning he gave me a vision and he's saying my people I stand at the edges of the heavens with a flask of oil ready to pour down will you receive me this day if I pour out my spirit upon your flesh my people will you come and raise up your hands and embrace my spirit when I pour it out come When I break a flask, it's permanent. The flask cannot be repaired, but the flask is of clay. And when I break the flask, my spirit will pour out. The oil will flow over you. And as the oil flows, the spirit, my spirit, will pour over you. And you will come to new heights with me, new depths with me. You will have greater understanding of who I am. You will have greater revelation of the God who you love. You will have greater understanding of the God who loves you. Will you come and let me break the flask of my holy oil and pour it over you today? Will you come? Will you come and let me break this flask? and pour out my spirit upon your flesh. Come to me, children. Come to me, the time is now. God be